0: Hello everyone. A brief note on today's episode, our guest in this conversation, Dennis Author and I had a particularly long conversation, the longest to date actually, and this is the full version of that conversation. If you would prefer a condensed accounting of Dennis's truly incredible story and musings, you can refer to the edited version of this episode instead. But with that, please enjoy my conversation with Dennis Althor
1: anything that affects our senses because we seek out things. They, they always talk about this business thing. If I hear one more time they say, what's the pain point? Do they miss all the pleasure point? You don't get comfortable seats because of pain you get comfort you'll seek comfort. you'll seek good things. you'll run away from pain. So do you want to only sell because of the pain point or do you want to have things where it's a pleasure point and people feel good about what you what you've got? People love music. Why would they sell all those CDs or streaming or all this? Because we're wired for sound.
0: Let's discover the Cleveland entrepreneurial ecosystem. We are telling the stories of its entrepreneurs and those supporting them. Welcome to the Lay of the Land podcast, where we are exploring what people are building in Cleveland. I am your host, Jeffrey Stern, and today I had the real pleasure of speaking with Dennis Alter. This conversation is our longest to date, and only more wisdom is unlocked the deeper into the throes of Dennis's mind we go. Today, Dennis founded and runs Alter Audio here in Slavic Village within Cleveland, where he sells Premier Audio Systems. But as you'll hear, Dennis not only has a deep passion for unlocking the highest levels of audible literacy, but there is a real commitment to the craft itself and questioning across the board why we've always done things the way we've done things and really digging into and solutioning where the justification for the way things are today is that this has always been the way that we have done it. This curiosity Dennis carries with him has exposed him to a breadth of experiences from a prodigal expertise in electronics to the United States Air Force, to medical technology, to audio systems. And in this conversation, we really cover everything from Dennis's early life to hard electronics, to entrepreneurship, to philosophy itself. This really was a a special conversation and I hope you all enjoy it. Welcome Dennis. Uh, it is a a real pleasure to have you on. Once again, I'll I'll bring up Bob Sopko, who back through the the archives here was actually one of the, the first guests we've had on the podcast and is kind of a an ultimate maven here in Cleveland making connections for for the show and and bringing bringing folks together. And I'll I'll actually let Bob set the stage here a little bit cuz the way he introduced me to to you was was really kind of uh, extraordinary. But he, he introduced you as, as his friend, as, as someone who's used your own inventiveness to help bring yourself to a, a productive life, as someone who read every book on electronics in the library by the time you were, you were seven, as a community builder, as a, as a veteran, as an entrepreneur, as a colleague of Steve Wozniak since the 70s. And now you're building and manufacturing here in Cleveland, incredible sound systems. And so there's just a, a lot to unpack and, and uncover here. And so I'd I'd love to dive into this, leaving the floor kind of open to you to to take us through your your journey and your and your your past as we work our way towards some of the the more specific things. But I'd love to just hear a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, I would first off say that I'm not a colleague of Steve Wozniak's, but I've known him. So he'll return my emails generally. So it's not like <laughs> we work together. Uh, but that's another story. So where should we start on this journey here?
0: Yeah. I think I'd I'd love to start maybe even as, as far back as your your interest in electronics as kind of the common theme that, that ties as I, as I have seen it a lot of your work technology. together. Maybe maybe stems from that. Yeah.
1: It's it's all about technology. I'm I'm an I would consider myself an Uber Geek. I live for electronics and mechanics and anything that's creative and you could make the world a better place. So as you as you'd said I started reading books on electronics when I was a kid mainly because I was in the projects and after I was out of the projects I had you know like three half brothers and you know stepfathers that weren't the best people and one of them always had that where you were to be seen but never heard. So I made as much time as I could away from the house and I spent a lot of time in the library reading about a lot of sci-fi, love sci-fi, read everything on electronics. I remember reading about how TVs work and go, this is simple, this is so logical. <laughs> and, and then I read all the stuff on the children's side and then I snuck over to the adult side and ran all that stuff and really started repairing, you know, stereos and TVs and stuff at an early, early age. I'd repair anything for a buck in parts. So, And I got really good at troubleshooting, quite quite good and understanding how. But I, I couldn't just repair anything. I always had to modify it. It was like if you had a five-tube radio and it would take time to warm up and come on, I would put what's called a diode across the power switch that would be the opposite of the power supply that it would keep the tubes warm, but it wouldn't give them power. And then when you threw the switch, it would short by the diode and instant on television, instant on radios. And no one had that back then. So I was always tinkering, always adding more parts or taking parts out and got quite good at it. So early part of my life, I, I bought all my own test equipment and had my first job when I was probably around nine or 10 working in a hardware store, learn how to put together bikes and all that kind of good stuff. And then as I went through life, due to my one, I was really great at electronics. I really knew it. I was in a uh, summer, I went to Ball College and part of a program called Upward Bound. And I kind of snuck away from home after, you know, in ninth grade, I started staying with friends and couch surfing and you know, the home situation stunk so bad. But I did graduate from high school. I was on my own pretty much. I was actually uh, emancipated, they call it, legally. And I always had multiple jobs. I'd work, I, I, I could go without sleeping, maybe sleeping three, or four hours a night. So I was really productive, always building stuff, always. And, and I had a passion for sound and passion for, for pictures and electronics and cars. You know, I could work. I owned a ton of cars. When I was eight years old, I was already buying and selling cars. So, <laughs> you know, you could you could own a car at any age. You couldn't drive it. So at one time, I had five cars across the from where we lived in uh, here in Slavic Village. I don't know who owned the property. It was an empty lot, and I had five cars over there, and I'd swap cars, and, you know, <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. It was crazy. So No um, Hot
0: Wheels, so real cars. Then,
1: no, no, real cars, you know, but all of them were real. Junk. I mean, you're talking about these things had may, may pop tires. They may pop at any moment. You know. I mean, they were <laughs> they were pretty pretty sore cars. They were ready. They were past ready for being for the, the scrapyard. But they ran. They ran. My one brother passed away by sleeping in his car, and the fumes got to him. And at that point, I was around 17, and I go, you know, I really am good at electronics. I'm really good at electronics. But who's going to believe it? You know, like, well, you taught yourself. Well, what school did you go to, this, that, and the other? And and actually, I'd had an opportunity to go to uh, Exeter. And Mm -hmm. my mother at that time was a little narcissistic. You know, people are what they are, and it meant she would go off welfare sooner, so – that wasn't going to happen. Before then, I had a chance to skip three grades when I was in elementary school. Same story. So when that happened, I figured, you know, this is time to get out of here. That's when I kind of went on my own and to back up a little bit. And then when my brother passed away, I figured, well, maybe if I join the Air Force and I told people, well, I you know, I had, where do you know electronics? Well, I was in the Air Force. Then that would validate that I actually knew electronics because most people say, well, if you're in the military, did electronics, that's even better than going to college for a trade hmm. school. So I joined the Air Force. I went to their electronics school in Keesler after basic, of course. And I had a two and a half year course. I think I did it in about eight weeks. I had the highest scores they ever had you know, just took a test every day. That's all they'd let you do is one test a day, or I would have been out of there a lot sooner. So in about eight Mm -hmm. weeks, I took all the tests, ended up going to Southeast Asia to the Philippines and working on things like commando escort and presidential communications and sensor program and things called TOF and all this microwave stuff and everything, basically, in this, you know, Philippines, Thailand. So I had a great career. I was working, did work with a three-star general and didn't have any rank. I remember he used to say, looks at me one day and he goes, well, what did you do to get busted? I go, I never got any stripes, you know, because by the time (laughs) you'd be over in the Philippines on any career, you usually had a stripe or two. I didn't have any. I said, I would love to have you. You can give me one if you'd like. I, I made airmen in the, you know, ear and airmen in the base and all that kind of stuff. So I was pretty involved in things. And that was right in around 72. And then at the end of that, I got transferred to the States to go to Panama City, Florida. And that's right when Vietnam ended. And they said, well, if you uh, you want to get rid of 40,000 people and your job, what you're doing right now no longer exists because it's in direct support of what some of the stuff we're doing in, um, would you like an early out with full benefits? And I go, well, let me look that up and think about that. (sighs) So I'll have medical and college and GI Bill for buying a house, and my purpose is to go in and have people believe that I know something about electronics. Uh, Yeah, I think I'll take that deal. So the next day, I was out of the Air Force. It was unbelievable. So when I got out of the Air Force, I, you know, immediately started looking for a job. I went on. I never got on unemployment. I came back to Cleveland, of all things. I'm leaving Panama City, Florida, and coming back to Cleveland. So, you know, I'm sure there's something totally wrong with my brain there because a nice warm climate. And then you come back to, well, if you don't like the weather here. Wait a minute. You know, I had a friend who was a weatherman here. He left because the weather didn't agree with him. It was just <laughs> um so, so, I come back here and then I go to work for a small company for about two weeks and quit them because they were... <laughs> They were ripping people off and all that. And I had two more of the high ground. They would would go, all the people would go to work and then they would meet at a bar a block away and drink for about three or four hours, go out and work about an hour. And then they come back. And actually the president of the company was with all the guys gathered up. And one of the guys stole a ladder from like Ohio Bell and they brought it back. And and the president of the company actually sprayed, painted over that and put their name on the ladder. And I go. I don't need to have anything to do with this company. So I went to work for a company that repaired medical equipment and computer peripherals, big things like what they call XY plotters, large scale plotters, and had those kind of clients. They did a lot of what's called ultrasound back then. And that was like in the 77. So I worked with them for about a year. And then I kept having people from, like, we did work for Bobby Brooks and a few other customers, and they were constantly calling me. By the way, I was the best service repairman in the country. So when somebody couldn't fix something, I'd be going in places, and I was working eighty-hour weeks. I was, hmm. I was, an, I was a beast. So I started my own company because people were the guys, especially Bobby Brooks, are saying you got to come to work because their service on their equipment. It was a company called Gerber made their big plotters that drew their dress patterns, and their closest service was out of Connecticut. I believe, and I could go in and service something in an hour. They'd have to fly somebody in, get parts. I would have the time, I could repair right down to the transistor on the boards. Everything I've ever serviced, I could actually go down to the part. And these are some really sophisticated machines. So then we did, and I, the company, we, that I started, did a lot of service on, at the beginning times, on ultrasound equipment, which is just new for looking at babies, looking at hearts, a lot of heart stress testing stuff. In fact, I would train the doctors how to run treadmill tests and how to read the EKGs. They know how to read KGs, but how to run the treadmill test and how to, you know, put the patient in on that. And now I was selling the machines too. So I was doing all from apples to nuts from one end to the other, I was buying used machines and refurbishing them and reselling them. And also I was doing, uh, your name gets around, I end up doing works for Bobby Brooks. The next thing you know, I'm doing service for Richmond brothers. And on, they've got big laser cutters cutting out suits and doing work for General Tire and then BF Goodrich and and General Tire and all the tire companies. They'd have research equipment and they'd have stuff that was abandoned. Child, nobody took care of it anymore. So I was either working on super state-of-the-art stuff or stuff that was extremely old <laughs> and no one knew how to service it. And so that was my two points. Anything that everybody's service center doing, I didn't have any interest in that, but stuff that's really, really old, no one knows how to repair and stuff that's state-of-the-art, no one knows how to repair. And both of those ends are are very rewarding because you're actually doing something nobody else can do. And that was my way of getting self worth, I guess. Everybody has a reason why God put them here and mine is to to do electronics. And in doing the medical stuff, I ended up when the companies couldn't repair something, they would fly me to Texas or Florida or wherever where the company had worked on something for two or three weeks, I'd fly in, put my scopes and equipment on the thing. And that was when you could carry a lot more stuff on the planes than you could now. And I'd get it running within an hour down the transistor and leave. <laughs> so it was, you know, and, and then you could always up your prices. And so I, I love doing that stuff, but in doing that, in doing the radiology stuff, I ended up doing more and more seeing needs where people in ultrasound specifically, the, mm. the video recorders in order to watch, they would videotape things cause it was real time at that time. And the original pictures were static, like a CAT scan or an MR, but the ultrasound images are moving images. So on their film, they would do just like nine pictures, but they're static images. The real diagnostic qualities in real time video. But the video recorders back in the 70s were pretty crummy. They started out with three quarter inch tape, they went to half inch tape. The quality was very inferior to the real picture on the screen and I go, well, you know, I'd look at the things and I'd, I ended up modifying VCRs for like super high resolution using standard tape and super high speed. So we could get anywhere on the tape in like 17 seconds on a two hour tape. And then we modified them to where they could do really high resolution, like HDTV, which half inch tape was impossible to do, but Nobody told me. I didn't know you couldn't do it. And it's a lot like when Steve Wozniak, what made Apple really happen, is when he put a floppy drive on it. And he'd never seen a floppy drive. He'd never worked on it. At that time, they had 8-inch drives. And the 5-inch just came out. And he read the specs. And he goes, well, it needs this, this, and the other. So with 14 chips, he made an interface to talk to it. then later on, he looked at an 8-inch drive. And that thing's got like 60 chips on the back of it. And he goes, if he had looked at that first, he would have went down a totally different path. But in his ignorance, he gave it what it needed. and kept thinking, I got to be doing something wrong because why would they use 60 chips when you could do this with 14? Because they don't understand. Most most things I find in life, I put my name upside down in my emails. Most things in life, people do things exactly backward and upside down from what they should be. And we'll get into that in a in a little bit down the road here.
0: Yeah, it was it was something I wanted to, to ask you about. Yeah,
1: we're gonna really go into that. That's a that's a whole story. So anyway, we started repairing this medical equipment and then we started building high resolution VCRs and we ended up in changing the company from Ultronics technical systems to ultronics medical systems and we started doing we were doing teleradiography, we sent MR C T nuclear and ultrasound images to the radiologist at nighttime for the northern part of Ohio for 95% market share.
0: So the, the founding the, the founding insight was really one of, of deep technical expertise and, and seeing that something is now possible that people yeah, weren't and, thinking and, about.
1: And and not hard to do. We started building analysis systems and other companies, I could tell you a couple of these secrets because it's passe now, but they were <laughs> taking, uh, in order to do measurements on a cardiac image on ultrasound, they would play a videotape into a storage thing, they could play the tape, they could freeze an image and the slow-mo the tape to make it go backward and forward was so-so. And I had perfected to be able to slow-mo back and forth as good as a laser disc would be, really sharp image without disturbances in the picture. Well, they would take and play an image into a computer and they could only grab one image. So as it was playing, they'd snapshot an image. And then they would draw on top of it. this this interface to grab one picture would normally cost about $20,000. It's the only way they could overlay graphics because the computers run at a different rate than your video does, if that makes sense. They're different different resolutions. And I figured out a way real simply by taking, since I was building VCRs, I made the VCR slave to the computer rather than the computer try to slave to the VCR. So I had that at the top of the picture, that's what's called vertical. You start at the top, you run 500 lines down or 250 lines down, then you go back to the top, you run down the screen, 250 more lines. It's called interlaced. What I did was the drum on the video recorder in playback, it locks to the internal sync on the VCR. I made it locked to the computer so that when it started its run at the top, with the drum at the very beginning of the tape, the computer monitor was at the top. So they could be at the same vertical. They're both at 60. The problem is that the horizontal is a different frequency. There's different amount of lines in a computer than on a TV screen. Even if it's off by a couple of lines, you can't put the two together, or so they thought. And that's why they would take the TV picture, cram it in a memory, run it out at the computer amount of lines. Does that make sense? <laughs> this, crystal, this is, losing you totally am i losing it? so what i did was actually i made a really idiotic thing I, I made a thing that would switch between showing you the picture from the vcr they're both starting at the top of the picture at the same time so if you if, you have, if you're a superman and had really fast eyes you'd see this line starting at the both screens at the same time because i would sync the video recorder to the computer then i would just basically throw a switch and show you a computer screen Sixtieth of a second, then I would show you this screen from the VCR, and it would flicker. But you'd overlay the two, so if you looked at it, the two are superimposed, and it doesn't right. care what the tape deck does. You can run the tape deck backward, forward, any speed you want. And it wouldn't. The computer didn't care. It doesn't know anything about the video recorder. They're not locked together. The the computer's rock solid. The VCR is not. And since I synced the two together, you could do overlay, so you could measure. What's called cardiac output, you can measure a picture of the heart long axis, and you can do another when they did the ultrasound short axis, you know how much the heart's pumping out. So we started building computer analysis systems, which was the the off-growth. Then as we were building more and more computer systems, we realized the real business is the video recorders because I could sell those to everybody that makes these analysis systems that cost eighty, dollars $100,000, and I could ship that. You didn't have to ship a whole desk with an Apple II computer and a bit pad and monitors and disk drives and, and software, no matter what you wrote in software, it never satisfied the doctors because you'd print out a report and you'd have a place for the doctor to sign on the lower right and you get a call, well, our doctors always sign on the lower left. <laughs> Jeez, you never, your software is never finished because no matter what you do, somebody out there is going to say, well, but I don't like the background color. I don't like, it has nothing to do with the basic thing that you're trying to accomplish. So we got in the video recorder business and we ended up doing probably about 85% of the cath labs in the country had our recorders in them because we could get anywhere really fast. And it had all these little cute things like a normal VCR has buttons. It's stupid stuff. That's why everything's upside down in life. You get a VCR, the buttons light up when you hit them. Well, you're in a dark room. What the shit good is that? You want them to be lit before you hit them. So we'd have them dim. And when you hit them, they'd go bright. It says so you know which mode you're in, but you could see to hit the button. Otherwise you're in a dark cath lab, the lights are all off. And it's like, this is the way VCR should be. And when you turn it off, the picture would loop through the VCR and it would we even had it where the VCR was smart enough that in a floral lab, when you swallow a cookie or you do what's called barium swallows, it would trigger on the image. It didn't even need an interface and the hardware. It would take the video signal, the, the image, and it would look at the image when it sees a picture come on from the guy stepping on the x-ray switch. It would start recording it. And by the way, we had the recorder, a normal VCR takes about seven seconds to get going. And this is like one inch. You know, $100,000 Ampex recorders with big tapes and big reel reels even a half-inch tape, it takes seven seconds, it winds back, goes forward. We could start up in a seventh of a second from dead stop, and we'd stay in pause for an hour and a half without hurting the tape. So we did all the things you need in clinical and we had FDA approval. We had what's, there's, there's certain measurements of AC line linkage, all this technical garbage that you have to do to be medically approved, but we met all those specs. And so we sold the fajinkis out of these things. We'd put a different, you know, we kept a commercial recorder. In fact, we were number two in the world outside of HP for buying those commercial recorders, but we kind of, We'd do the Shelby Mustang thing to them. We would get them, and then we would soup them up, and we'd put a cover where you couldn't drop blood and stuff into it. All the other covers were vented and did all the right power cords and all that stuff. So we're building these VCRs and doing pretty good with that. Then we did a lot with teleradiography. We did a lot of sending these images. That I'm so happy that we're out of that business because you get calls 24 hours a day. And some of them were good enough for stand-up comedy. Doctors would call at 2 in the morning and like, you know, you got to go to the hospital and fix that transmitting machine. I'm not receiving pictures. And we were able to call in, and this is back in the, you know, early 80s, like 84. You could call in and have it send me the pictures. I could take that hospital and have it send to all the other hospitals. All the other hospitals could send to me, but not one of them could send to the doctor. And you go, well, I really think the problem's on your end doctor. Oh no, it's (laughs) not on my end. This is a brand new computer. It's a brand new computer. You've never used it with this software before. Nope, but it should work. Well, what modem do you have? And at that time, the software for, a lot of reasons. One's FDA says, this is what you're going to use. This is what it's been tested with. Does that make sense? And they have a list of four modems that it would work with. And, they, and it only was guaranteed to work with those four modems, if it even did. <laughs> so if it wasn't one of those four modems, you're on your own and you're not legal either. And the guy goes, well, it's a so-and-so modem. A modem is a modem. <laughs> you go, Well, fuel's fuel. Let's put some diesel in your car. And it would be like these guys have gone to med school and they're working on people, but you know, if everybody could send to everybody else and nobody could send to him from any hospital, where do you think the problem might be? It it probably is not at the hospital he's trying to get pictures from. (laughs) So, so you get these things at two o'clock in the morning. And this was like for years we did teleradiography and small pack systems. We'd send images from the ER up to radiology and, ER to pediatrics because that way you don't move the film around and now it's all digital and it's gone further so that went pretty good until you know basically 9-11 happened 9-11 I've worked about 10 years without taking a vacation so things were real terse we had by the way and all this was going on we amassed a huge amount of real estate like blocks of real estate which we paid cash for so we had all these other businesses going I had a I had a liquor license we had a bar we had a high-end stereo store we were the we were the one of the first companies to really push laser disc players and we had 8500 laser movies and we'd run them for a dollar a night well if you had a big screen TV of 10 foot back in 84 and you played a videotape on it it'd be like watching rocks on a picture it'd be so blurry but the laser disc Looked pretty good, and the sound was awesome. So because we had the software, we had customers, and because we had the software, we had the disk, which you don't have to rewind, they never wear out. We sold more laser players out of one little store in Slavic Village than the Sun and Circuit City for every store in Ohio combined. So we did a landmark business with LaserDisc. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I mean, it was great. And when DVDs first came out, I had a brother living in California. I actually went off with Toshiba. And while all this is going on, I've been off to Skywalker Ranch for THX. And I ended up doing a a beyond the consumer stuff. I ended up being the TAP representative for Ohio, which I could say now I'd go in and, you know, evaluate the movie theaters that were THX. If that's, thompson holman experiment is what that stands for and thompson holman was their hard head of engineering for star wars and you know they did star wars they went out and listened to it in the theater they go this sucks we've got to put a standard <laughs> down so all the movies are the same and the same quality and that's what lucas film was all about so i would go and sit in the theaters and make sure everything was working the way it should and that included like the 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 signs on the bathrooms, what the parking lot looked like. It's all mm-hmm. about if people go to a THX theater, which is kind of not so much anymore. But at that time, it was they have to pay a lot of money, and it's saying it's like you know when you go to McDonald's, you know what you're going to get. Maybe mediocre, but you know what you're going to get. It's going to be the <laughs> exact amount of pickles. You're not going to get an extra pickle. You're not going to be one less. And you're going to get X amount of ketchup and mustard. And it's going to be cooked at a certain temperature at that atmosphere, at that height. And it's going to be the French fries will always be cooked the same. So, you know, when you go to a THX theater, you know that it's going to be the exact same as it will be at another theater in California or Canada or, you know, wherever you go. So I would do that for a while. So anyway, after 9-11, I go, you know what? I am just tired. I'm, I'm, I've had enough of this. I decided to kind of, and, and and we had had a new invention that was pretty pronounced. We were going to build an, an analysis system to, to look at x-rays digitally, because they just came out with digital on viewing stations. The viewing stations were half a million dollars. And I had one with a really cool thing. We'd build a little device that would capture images from MR, CT nuclear ultrasound. It could take 10 inputs and send them to the teleradiography that was the older stuff. Everybody else is trying to convert their ultrasound machines to doing network stuff and the sending them that way, which is a lot of companies were doing that. I yeah. went the other way because you couldn't change horses on them. A, a doctor would be reading for four hospitals with legacy software and he couldn't do both at the same time. So we had a little box that was pretty cool. It sold for about 20 grand. It was a phenomenal profit. I think we paid 200 bucks. 100 of that was the software license. We had our own little computer, all it had was a little green light on it. And it it ran a monitor that would show what's coming from the CAT scanner. And you would pick, you would adjust what's called the window and level. And the thing would take its own pictures, which is really cool. So we had somebody, a a major group was going to buy us, give me a lot of money, a lot of money, and give me a really great salary. So for about a year, we danced with them. And right when 9-11 happened, we were going to actually do the deal two weeks later. And that stopped that deal. And that group went from having 400 employees to having, like now, probably 10. So if I'd gotten on board with them, it probably would have been a downhill run for us anyway. So – with that, I kind of sat back for a couple of years and repaired all the, We I think we put about 3,500 VCRs into the marketplace across all the cardiac, some of them in ultrasound. We had a fair amount in military, a lot of research places used our VCRs and we kind of made a name for it. It was a real slick looking box. It was really cool. We did all the trade shows. We'd go to the American Heart, American College, the RSNA. We do all the big trade shows around the country and knew all the, the head radiologists that, you know, Cedars-Sinai and and the Mayo Clinic and all these—we had stuff everywhere, and it was great because we put it in the universities first, and it would just spread. They—they uh, they would tell their friends, and it's a very close-knit society. And when we picked up all the OEMs on our stuff, when you get a two million dollar lab, some our VCRs were ten thousand to twenty thousand dollars. The competitors were a hundred thousand, eighty thousand, and we outperformed them. And our material, it was six hundred dollars for a reel-to-reel hour-long tape. Ours was twenty bucks for two hours. Wow. So you do the math, you know. And you could store them on a shelf. They were on reel-to-reels. You had to wind the thing, you know, and put it in all the all that craziness. So uh, Sony ended up buying video recorders from us, actually, but put with their analysis system because everybody went away from Beta, and they certainly weren't going to put a JVC or a Panasonic or some other machine in with their stuff. So, but putting. You know, Altronics Medical, you know, that that's different. <laughs> so we had a great run with the VCR. So so I, I sat back for a couple of years. I just repaired the machines because we had enough of them in the field. And it had been their mean failure time was eight years. And people mm-hmm. used these things for a long time. And I'd get them back and do a complete rebuild and send them out. It was a one-man show. Probably made more to my pocket than when we were running the business because I didn't have all the overhead and all that stuff. So then that finally kind of wound down a little bit. And then I've always had this passion for audio. So the the real story is we have yeah. an acquaintance, and this acquaintance was doing inner city preaching at the Cleveland Boys and Girls Club gym. Now, if you've ever heard anybody speak in a gym, it's less than ideal, right? It's like <laughs> Echo City. So so you go in a gym, I would take a set of really good speakers. They're a company called Tannoy. It's a real high end. They're like number two in the studios worldwide outside of America and a nice mixture and all this stuff. You go to the back of the gym and you go, I have no idea what this guy is saying. It's like, just. it's like being in a cavern. And by the way, this guy was a, a, a former drug dealer and he had brought 160 people to hear, to know Christ most of them as former customers. So he'd have this place packed because they're giving them food and jackets and everything else. But I think a lot of the people were there for the food, the jackets and all the stuff because they certainly weren't hearing what he had to say. (laughs) I'm there and I couldn't understand what he was saying. So I actually went home after a few of these little, you know, church services on Sunday in the boys club gym. I go home and I pray about it. And everything I've ever built, by the way, has been in lucid dreams. Whenever I've had a problem, I've wow. slept on it, and in color, I'm a color dreamer, I would do all the circuitry. If you ever watch like the Prisoner of War things, you know, you, you, all the circuitry, I'm working it all out in my mind, and since I've done the, the stuff in the military, and since I did this stuff with ultrasound and ultrasounds, really kind of simple, it's, it's called beamforming, and I could give you a quick explanation if anybody will put them to sleep out in the audience. I know, I,
0: I would love to hear it.
1: Imagine, if you will, a perfectly flat pond, Right. There's no waves. If you drop a rock, as we all know, because I think most of us have dropped rocks in the pond, it goes out in waves, big circles. Now, if you line up 10 people at the beach on that perfectly smooth pond and you line them up 10 feet apart and you have one guy drops a rock in the pond and the next guy counts to 20 and he drops a rock in the pond. And the next guy counts the 20, and he drops a rock in the pond. Those waves will combine, and you'll have a perfect straight wave going off on a 45-degree angle to where the last guy drops the rock. Can you imagine that?
0: I'm visualizing.
1: If you start at the outer two guys, and they drop rocks at the same time, and then the guy in the middle is the last one, it'll make a concave-looking wave. And that's how they focus ultrasound, is how they fire those crystals. There's usually 64 to 128 crystals and they fire them in groups. And so they can, they can point it back and forth. And that's actually how 5G works with their antennas. They, they, it's the delay between them. And that's how hmm. they focus what they're doing. Okay, so if that makes sense. So what we, what we came up with is a speaker, if you have a line of speakers, say we've got nine speakers, and if you put your head right next to the center speaker, that center speaker is only going a couple inches to hit your ear, right? The one at the top's going a lot of inches to hit your ear. So sound is very short wavelengths. And your human hearing is most sensitive to time delay. If you change volume on something, you have to double the volume for human It could be 2 dB on professional people, but you got to double the volume. It's called 3 dB. You have to double the volume to perceive a difference. So, if you have 10 watts, you got to go to 20 watts. If you have a radio that's a receiver that's 100 watts and you got one at 125, they're identical volume, identical. You got to go to 200 to perceive it gets a little bit louder. So, you can see it it starts using power really, really fast. You go one watt, two watt, you're in the thousands before you know it. And frequency, everybody goes, well, you know, James Taylor sounds a little bassy on those speakers. And you go, has he ever visited your house and sang to you without sing, <laughs> singing through a PA system? <laughs> you have no idea what James Taylor sounds like. You know what piano sound like. You know what violins sound like. But most things in a movie is totally man-made. You have no idea what that boom is supposed to sound like. And most things in people singing, you have no idea what their voice sounds like because you've never actually heard them right? So your idea of frequency is garbage. You don't have any idea what's too high, too low, unless you've worked with the people. But time delay, you're really sensitive to. If somebody talks at the right side of your, you're standing on your right side, it hits your right ear, and then a few itsy bitsy bit in time, it hits your left ear. Same volume. That little delay will tell you in tenths of a degree where that person is standing in the room that little delay around your nose. And with mine, I've got a really big nose. It's a big delay. So my brain actually calculates for that. But on most people, it's a short delay. So maybe that's why I'm a little bit better hearing. I got that big delay working for me. (laughs) So what happens is that if you've got a line of speakers, the top speaker is back in time. So if you gave it a pulse, you'd see a bunch of pulses if you were to electronically look at it. It wouldn't be one pulse. So it's like guys are rowing a boat and everybody's kind of rowing their you know, there's nine guys and they're all rolling at different speeds, but they're, the boat's kind of moving forward. You get sound coming out of this thing, but it's blurry. Can you picture that? Because things are yeah. arriving and it's just like you've got double vision. It's it's making everything smooch together. Well, by time aligning the speakers and we're doing it passively in the speakers. Companies have time aligned speakers. They put an amplifier on every single speaker and they do the delays digitally and they, it's a network thing and it takes time. So it's actually back in time. They can't do it at real time. And what we do is we have a secret sauce in our box to where when we send the sound, they're all time aligned so that the thing's got three and a half inch speakers, that three and a half inch speaker is very light and easy to move. Okay. All of them combined, the overall surface area is rather large. When you put nine times the surface area of the little one guy, so you get this big thing moving really fast with a lot of control, but it's all focused on the center speaker. So when it sends sound out, instead of being 90 degrees up and down and 90 degrees side to side, we're three degrees up and down. It shoots straight ahead and almost nothing side to side. So we've got these, they cover the Cleveland zoo with 10 of these. Oh, wow. They go thousands of feet outdoors and the volume when you're 10 feet away sounds exactly like to your perception that when you're a thousand feet away That's and incredible. 180 degrees across. So we put one or two of them on a, a press box in a football field. We've got them at Western reserve Academy. They've got them in their chapel. They've got them on their soccer field. They've got them on their football field. It will cover a whole football field. You could clearly hear it in the visitor side, Just and you could sit underneath it and be on this call because the way that it focuses the sound, and incidentally, that's the whole thing like I put my name upside down. When you go to a meeting, my big beef is most things are done because this is the way people's always done them. You go in a meeting room, the speakers are in the ceiling. I don't know anyone other than somebody deformed whose ears point up. Your ears point forward. You reject sound behind you. So if it's Above you, if you go home, and you could try this, put on it, get two identical TVs, set one behind you, put a program on, watch the screen in front of you, play the sound from behind you, and if it's a movie you haven't seen, you'll have trouble following the movie, even though it's crystal clear, because it doesn't sync. It's like when you look off the road, you drive off the road. So localization is a big deal on intelligibility. If somebody's speaking and the sound's coming from where they're at, you think that's them talking louder. It shouldn't sound like a PA system. Sound should be natural. And most sound systems, they everybody sounds like. You hear them on most sound systems because they have a horn and a woofer. The woofer's got a lot of mass. And yep. when you start the woofer moving back and forth, it literally is going about 120 miles an hour, stopping dead and changing direction. So it's got too much. If you take a train and try to stop it, it isn't going to stop. But these little bitty speakers, they can stop on a dime. So the clarity is way, way beyond what you'll get with a big speaker, but you got the same amount of air. All you care about at the end of the day is how much air can you move. And if you don't try to go low frequencies, 95% of all energy is 100 hertz down. That's like a, a low bump, Okay. So when you're trying to get a speaker that's a 15 or an 18 to go down, they can't, I don't think there's any can go down to 20 hertz. They claim Mm -hmm. 20, but they, they really are doing 40 or 50 or 60. They can't do it without doing another frequency that's, like if they do 20, there's more 40 than 20. So you hear bass, but it's it's blurry. It's not like to do to do it properly. We'll have we've taken like one of our line our our beam formers down to the Canton Fairgrounds, and they had eight subwoofers. Each one would be the size of a small refrigerator laying on its side, and we could cover that fairgrounds with one of these little stinking columns. They're only forty inches long, and they're six inches wide five inches deep and they weigh 17 pounds and they're weatherproof. So when we went about building the speakers, we we did it from A to Z. We made them 40 inches long because the array is within a human hearing when you're sitting or standing from 95% of the people. And by being 40 inches long, when you do extrusions, they're 10 feet. And if my great math skills from South High inner city is right. That's three. <laughs> so we don't like to waste stuff. You know, I, I'm not going to pay for dumpsters. We are so frugal, it's unbelievable. So when we cut something, it's thirds. Exactly. Okay. And when you ship stuff, because we plan on shipping thousands and tens of thousands of this because when people find out what we're doing, all of, by the way, all of our sales, we've sold about 400 of these over the past few years, have all been referrals from our customers. Not even referrals. We'll put them at VAS, for example, VASJ on, uh, in Euclid. They call somebody in North Can and say, you got to buy this. We we did Alex Bevan buys it. He tells all of his friends, you gotta hear these things because they're outrageous. They're just so different than anything anybody's ever heard. We'll put a microphone dead on the front of one of these things and scream and not get feedback. We go out and do a demo in a church, they just write you a check and hand it to you. you know, <laughs> it's like you know, it's like what do you all the problems with sound is because people don't look at the problem from beginning to end. And it's everywhere in life is that way. When you go in a shower, I always use this example, you know, you reach through, to adjust the heat of the shower, so if it's scalding, you're reaching through the scalding water to adjust the shower. Every bathroom's plumbed like this, and you go, well, if you ran the the plumbing another couple of feet, you could put the knob on the side or the back side of the tub. Oh, but that's more plumbing. You just brought it three hundred damn feet. What's another three feet? You know, it's it's like stupidity. It's like you get in your car and you know you have to have your headlights on when your wipers are on. So since they ever started making cars, if you turn on your wipers, your headlights, you come on. You shouldn't have to do, when you enter somebody on your iPhone and Palm did this and the UPS does it, you enter somebody's address on your phone and it starts off in the alphabet keyboard. And you go, how many people do you know whose address starts with a letter? How many? The majority start with a number. And actually, if you put in the zip code, it should automatically put in the city and the state and all that other nonsense, you know. And then you put their address, and it should go straight to the number pad because everybody's address just starts with a number. So <laughs> most things, you, you, most things are backwards. You go in a bathroom, right? So so you, you go in an elevator. You know, I, I've got this little thing where you go in, you got to have a medical exam, right? So you, and you go in. The first mm-hmm. thing, it's a two-story building. You go in the elevator. What do you see? First floor, second floor, and you go shit. What floor am I on? You know how the hell do I get there? What's the other floor? Couldn't they just and and buttons cost a lot of money, right? So wouldn't it be better just have one button that says go to the other floor, or go to the other damn floor, or just go? You know, I mean where are you going to go? If you're on one, you can only go to two. If you're on two, you can only go to one. Why have button one and two? I mean, to me, that seems like absurd, right? It's just yes. like when you do the pole vault backward, you know, the guy goes like, oh, damn, we've been doing it wrong all along. Overhead speakers are are horrible because they, they got to be up really high in order to distribute. So you need an awful lot of them. And, it costs money to run stuff in the ceilings. In a gym, we did Beachwood High School with two of our columns. We took down 12 of a three letter company, starts with J. Much better coverage, much better sound. We put a subwoofer in the corner. You'd swear the sound's coming out of those little columns because we go down to 100 hertz. We don't try to do lows because when you speak, a telephone goes from 300 to 3,000 for speech intelligibility. That's all you need. We go from 100 to 18,000 ruler flat. That's one of the reasons ruler flat on frequency and time, more importantly. That's why when we put a mic up right next to the speaker, it doesn't squeal. Because it's exactly, if you if you look at people when they EQ, they cut down the squealing frequency because it's actually hotter than the rest of the stuff. Mm. Does that make sense? So we've gone in a different way. And plus the cabinets generate sound. So we've got a cabinet that's deader than a doornail. We fill 18 little chambers with something we call wham, wave absorption material, so that when you thump your hand on the side of the cabinet, it would sound like a music box. A music box, you don't make any noise besides the sound coming out of the speaker. The box creates its own sound, right? So its sound coming off the side of the box is trying to kill the sound that's coming off the front of the box. Well, we're real dead in there. People don't realize that the sound on a speaker is loud as it is in front of a speaker, and they fill them with fiberglass and all that. The back of the speaker is the same cone, right? You can agree. The cone on the front is the same cone looking at the back of the speaker. So as loud as it is in your room at, at loud volumes, it's that loud in that little space behind the speaker. Yeah. So what do you do with that energy? Well, we absorb it. We turn it to heat, basically. And then when you look at a grill, everybody's familiar with the metal grills. on. We're talking commercial speakers, not home stuff, okay? Yeah. You look at a grill on a speaker, okay? It's got these little perforations. Well, if you take that grill off and put it underneath the water faucet, you'll find out the air ain't getting through there real good. Only 40% of the air is getting through those puny little holes trying to force itself through the holes. So it's bouncing back some of that energy to the cone, And then through to the inside of the cabinet, coming back, hitting the cone again, hitting the face. So when you have a pulse, it just keeps pulsing forever. What we did was we have bars, stainless steel bars that we powder coat. And what they do is the sound comes out. It's like looking at just straight bars like in a prison because, you know, the sound wants to get out of this jail cell, right? So they're round. And since it's round, it does the same thing as an airplane wing. As it hits that round thing, it has to build up pressure on the sides of that round bar. And then on the front side, it's got a negative energy. So they actually goes and forms right back to what it was. You're not breaking in a bunch of little holes all trying to fill up and all that. And by the way, it's got frets, just like on a guitar. The whole front of these things is a solid chunk of aluminum. The outer box is plastic because plastic's weatherproof, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It's got some great features. Plastic does. And it it's, it's indestructible pretty much. In fact, we cover the whole thing with truck bed liner and you could throw it down the stairs. You could jump up and down on these things. The bars being stainless steel, you literally can lay it on its back and jump up and down on it. But we don't disturb the sound and we take the heat that's inside the box because if you put a 100 watts to a speaker, consider it the same as a 100 watt light bulb. So even if you know nothing about wattage, you know, if you grab a hold of, if it's not an LED, you grab a hold of a 100 watt bulb, it's hot. These speakers can handle 350 watts, damn hot in the cabinet. 95% of that energy turns to heat, not sound, 95%. So you have to build, you know, those little heat lamps, that's what's going on inside the box. Where we heat up the front baffle, it goes up those little frets every, you know, however it is, I think we got four of them, and it goes up the bars and then the speakers are blowing over the bars and cooling themselves. So, everything about it is, 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 you know. So, anyway, my whole thing in life is to change the world. So, we, we probably have not grown the company as much as we should because I'm truly a Steve Wozniak. I'm about changing the world for intelligibility. And I don't think we're in the speaker business. We're in the communications business. As I mentioned, I know an awful lot about video. I'm, I, and I, I had the second Mac in the world I modified a three tube projector and Steve Wozniak sat next to me. We projected a 35 foot screen with what's called a hundred looms, which is like dim as shit. But that was considered a big deal back then. Those three tubes had liquid in front of them. It was boiling the liquid to do that, three CRTs. But I was able to make it sync to what the Apple computer puts out, which is 23 kilohertz. Standard video is 15 kilohertz. It was able to show, him. He, he still remembered that. He came to Cleveland here a few years ago. He was down at, at I had not seen him since 77, or, or since 84. I'd met him before then in the 80s, in the 70s, before the Apple thing, before the Macintosh thing. But in 84, they brought the Mac to Cleveland, and we were the second group to see it. The Boston Users Group was first to be in existence. Cleveland was second. We had over 1,000 members. So at Independence High School, we had a 1,000 people. And, you know, the fire department didn't know, but we unplugged all the lights because you had to have it really dark in there. We didn't have any lights, none <laughs> of it, none. It was pitch black in there, but you were able to see it. And Steve sat next to me and he says, that's the best picture you'd ever saw outside of a huge light valve, which is the only thing that would present that picture. And I think they were about $80,000 in 84. So, you know, my little homemade switch thing, I'd switch it for normal video or for high death. And it, it worked. You know? <laughs> so so he came to, to E.J. Thomas. E.J. Thomas? Is that the place in Akron? He came there a few years ago and spoke and he gave his story. It's a great story. He's he's a really funny guy. If you ever get a chance to meet him. In fact, I'll tell you a story about Steve from the 70s after I'm done with this little spiel. So, And that's part of the spiel. So We we get free tickets, so uh, there's a whole bunch of us come down. I've got a good friend. We go down, and E.J. Thomas seats 3,500 people, and they're in long rows, and you exit at the end of the rows. So when you come down, everybody comes in from the side. You're all across. It's a great auditorium. So Steve's up front. He gives his spiel about how he started Apple Computer and all that stuff. It's all about passion. It's all about loving, and Steve is all about making the world a better place. So at that meeting, they go at the end. And I talked to the the girls that sat us. And I said, well, you know, I got to tell you, you know, there's a time when Steve gave me the best laugh of my life in the 70s. And she goes, well, how's that? And I go, well, we're in the Jarvis Center in New York City. And I didn't know Steve, but Steve's in front of us. Imagine the brightest yellow jacket you can imagine with the was embroidered with five inch thick big letters. The was a big semicircle. You you picture that? Sure, yeah. And he's walking with six or eight of the guys from Apple. Apple was probably doing about a hundred million a year in sales. They weren't a giant company. Apple was just kind of getting started. And at that time, you'd go to the trade show, and people would have folding tables with little boards and stuff that they'd make. Uh, we had. Four guys from our Apple Users Group went and they had boots. One of the guys had a little thing for, it's almost like a notcher that the kids use for your paper route, that the floppies cost 25 bucks a piece for 120K of data. Well, the backside's the same material. So you could put a notch in it and flip it over and save 25 bucks. So he's selling those things for like 10 bucks or something. So Steve would stop at every table, look at what they were doing, and generally write a check if he liked it which I doubt most people ever cash. So he's making off both ways. He gets the product and he he feels morally obligated. He's paid you whether or not you ever collect the money. So he stops at one booth and there's myself with probably 20 guys. And he looks down at the booth. He picks up a little printer interface card, a little PC card that would fit in the Apple II. And he looks at it. He's turning it over. He loves to look at the way the artwork is because he designs, you know, he he puts chips on things and he looks at the chip and he goes, this isn't, an 83502 or whatever the part number was. It's called a peripheral interface adapter. He says PIA. Peripheral for peripherals is the printer. Okay. Interface mm-hmm. is the interface of the computer and it's adapted to computer. So you can plug it in, a, a printer to the computer and have it send data back and forth. He looks at this and he says, Well, the only problem with that chip is it has trouble handling the interrupts on pin 31. The guy reaches up, grabs it out of his hand, and goes, What the F do you know about computers? And he looks down at the guy, doesn't say a word. He looks up to the ceiling, which is like 60 feet tall. He humps his shoulders and walks down the aisle. And everybody is laughing so hard, I thought I was going to piss my pants. I get to the end of the row, I swear I thought I broke a rib. I'm sitting leaning against the wall, tears are pouring down my face. And for months after that, I'd be out with my friends. We'd be sitting eating breakfast or lunch or something. Then somebody would look over at somebody else and go, what the F do you know about computers and here this guy said his <laughs> show his show. and he doesn't know who he is I mean that to me so we tell this girl that and she goes well you know why don't you go down there they've got like 10 rows between this roped off to where the the, the, the podium is and mm-hmm. in the first row with my friend because that's for all the college people and all the dignitaries so we're down there and He gives a spiel, a spiel's incredible, talking about how he started and how he worked with Steve Jobs and all this. And at the end, they go, well, is there any questions? He'll take a couple of questions now. So one of the guys with this jumps up and he says, I've got a DVD from the videotape when you came in 84 and showed the Mac to our users group. And I'd like to give you a copy of that. And he goes, well, you know, actually, Apple... Steve Jobs didn't want to have users groups because he was all about tying everything in and not letting people mess with the things. So the Macintosh was a totally closed architecture. The Apple and Steve to this day, it's to share with mankind. It's all open. Told you the DOS. He told you all the software. You can make the thing do anything you wanted to. So we're down on the front. So he says that. And then he says, any other things? And I pop up and he goes, I remember you. <laughs> <laughs> he says, what are you doing now? And I go, well, I'm building speakers that don't give echoes in big echo areas and don't give feedback. And they go, great, that's super. I'm glad things are doing well for you. And they go, well, that's the end of the question. Two questions. Everybody's emptying the place out. The girl comes over. She goes, are you going to go back and see them in the green room? And I go, what green room? She goes, well, it's, it's on the other side. Well, we had to go all the way out because the exit from the sides and all the way around the building. So we get in line, right? there's all these people and the, the person letting the people into the green room that's backstage says, well, you don't have an orange ticket. And the guy that, that ran the place was a guy named a named doll. And he looks at me and he says, he knows him, let him go back. So I go in the back and there's a buffet line. Everybody's over there. He's talking to one guy. So I go up and I talk to Steve. I get his card, his personal card with his phone number and all this stuff. And we chat for a good while. And sure enough, he emails me the next day. And, you know, it's great. But we're two of a kind. And, and my thing with this business is not taking off as well as it should because I don't, I'm about communications. I'm about what's in my brain to appear in your brain as undisturbed as possible. But if you've got a friend, you know whatever comes out of your mouth and lands on their ears is not what your mouth put out. So when you're communicating, be it because of race differences, or ethnic differences, or religious differences, or background, whether you're poor, or sure. you're rich, even language,
0: we, we don't think in letters,
1: and we don't think in letters and visually. So if you've got really poor visual, like everybody does, PowerPoints ass backward, they should be forced to look at a projection screen, the size of what they're going to use in a room and totally do their PowerPoint on that screen because everybody puts a little bit of shit you can't read from the back of the room. Hmm. So it's just wasting everybody's time. And people are watching the PowerPoint rather than the person speaking. They're looking at that and it's looking at you to get you involved with the people because it's that eye contact that shows you the soul of a person and it's the facial expansions. And we miss that. We miss out on that. So communications is about what's in my brain to be able to formulate in your brain so we're both in sync about what we're talking about. And you'll know that. And especially after doing teleradiography and all the stuff I've done in medical and other things, you go, you're talking about one thing. They're imagining something totally different. Hmm. You know, and when you talk to your dog, he kind of gets it food in his name, <laughs> but they get it. They can sense when you're not feeling good. They can sense when you're angry. Because we have abandoned that because of all of our speech. We're so busy. Of course, here I am talking away, and I'm not giving you a chance to say anything, but we don't really (laughs) listen to other people. We don't really convey information. I want to make the world a better place. So I'm not the kind of guy to build the business, and it will build on its own in spite of me. You know, It always has. But I'm not about profit, and I'm not about – I believe fully – I'm in the inner city of Cleveland, Slavic Village, I've done a lot with that. Was the lieutenant governor for the Kiwanis and all this. I'm I'm more about giving. I'm a giving person. There's different kind of people, but I believe that if you help other people, you're going to make it in the world because that's really all that matters. Is at the end of the day, your network is your network. Your net worth is your network, but it's knowing that you have other people meet their goals and accomplish what they want to accomplish and help them. That's the best. That's the best feeling you could get. What other questions do we have? Manufacturing in Cleveland. (laughs) How long are we going already? Hours already? I don't know. We're just getting rolling here. So Cleveland is always, when it comes to software, they're all about, everybody's about software, 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 software. And those companies, I I I would dare say a lot of them, it's like that hockey stick and then it falls back the other way. Or they sell out and they move out of the city. They move out of Cleveland. Some of the biggest companies, as soon as they grow, they're out of here manufacturing is the backbone of this country. It really is. But it's like a, it's like a bastard child, you know, to, and we're not, we've never looked for investment. In fact, we've always been totally cash. We've not, we've owned all of our vehicles. We own like a a couple million worth of test equipment. We're, and that's part of why we're successful because we're able to actually prove things the way it should be. And we're clever. We're not smart, but we're really clever. So, it's it's all about building communities and people. So you can't say you want to support the inner city and support people to make their lives better and then do it out in the suburbs because right now, especially, people don't even, there's no transportation out there. So the companies out in the, in, in far out there, there's no way to, for people to get there to work. You want to help people enrich their lives. I've never had anyone work for me. They've always worked with me. And when we were building the recorders, we had a little sign up says, we had two of them. The next person this machine's going to be used on is your kid or your grandkid. Because sometimes when the kids yeah. are teenagers, you go, well, oh, shit, you know? <laughs> it's like, you know, like... <laughs> You yeah, it's pretty rough with kids, right? I mean, when my daughter first got her first house, I'm a great-grandfather, by the way. I don't look at – people on the radio can't tell how old I am. So no, I no, definitely dude. have a face for, for, <laughs> for audio, don't I? I definitely have Based a face for, for audio. audio. <laughs> so I belong to AES, by the way. We need to get an AES group going here, the Audio Engineering Society. I was on a, a Zoom with them yesterday there in Columbus. we got to start at Cleveland one. And you got to come to my lab. We've got a <laughs> theater in the basement better than anything in Cleveland. We did one movie theater. We did one down in Loudonville, Ohio. People say we put the loud in Loudonville. It's not loud. But what it does do is it's got 10 of our speakers, which is outrageous because it's got three stories. So you have to do that. Since we're so straight ahead, you have to have something up high or you don't get anything. On a football field, that three degrees will hit the other side. Does that make sense? Because of the distance. So it's like perfect for football fields or soccer fields. So anyway, we made their basement into a subwoofer in this old theater. It's the kind like, you know, the palace and all these. You got to look at this place. And they do phenomenal. See, I've gone down there three times. We'll actually go down on a Sunday and watch a movie because the sound is insane. And it's only 5.1. It's not Atmos. It's not 7.1. But the sound is insanely good. And it's you could sit anywhere in that room. You could sit next to the left surround and hear all the other speakers. Most theaters, if you sit all the way up at the front right, you can't hear the center channel. There's right, center, left across the front. You can't hear it. You can hear every speaker no matter where you sit. It sounds the same volume. So if you're sitting all the way down on the front, you clearly hear that left. And we only got to put one speaker on each side, not the whole row coming down. It's been three times I've been down there where somebody will have the sound of a shotgun and everybody in the damn theater jumps out of their seat, looks at every other person and laughs because the sound is so tight and so dynamic. If I set off a shotgun behind you, Jeff, I can guarantee you will not stay in that seat. It may be a wet spot where you sat, but you will not be in that seat. You'll jump. And it's natural. If a firecracker goes off behind you, but theater sound doesn't do that generally. It's loud, it's boomy, it's hissy, it's 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 good sound. Don't get me wrong. Theaters have very good sound, but they cannot do live sound and movie sound over the same system. They do live acts from Nashville, they do plays, they do school plays. That same system, you could run a mic out and not get feedback. If you put a mic on a speaker system in a theater, it's gonna howl beyond belief. Because they don't need to be flat. They want to really impress you with the highs and the lows and the mid-range. It wants to just be in your face. Does that make sense? When you go and listen to a movie theater, it's like right in your face. It's real sizzly and real. In, in fact, since the 50s, they've got a little thing called the X curve. They increased the highs 2 dB per octave starting at 2000. It gets more and more highs. To reach the back of the room, the highs get eaten up because of the room. So it's sizzling when you're up front. <laughs> it's sizzling. And that's, that's built in all movies is the X curve. It's part of the, the format. And to put it in your home, there, there's one soundtrack for DVDs. They're all too bright. So if you have a THX sound system, they actually have a, an equalizer that takes that back out and makes it normal for your house because it's, it's made for a big space and you're using it in a small space. And the yeah. other systems all have it real sizzly, and it's it's very, it's like fingers on a chalkboard. You are impressed at first, but it wears you out. Wow. So manufacturing here for for hardwares is hardwares that are a lot tougher than anything else. But we've got eight suppliers. We don't build everything ourselves. We've got a place that the laser cuts the metal work for us. We have somebody that powder coats stuff for us. Things are TIG welded. The you know everything about it. We've got other people supplying us. That's all made in Ohio, baby. Veteran owned made in Ohio.
0: Yeah, yeah. We're proud of what we do. Oh, it's it's an incredible story, yeah.
1: Our future is, you know, everybody goes, Well, maybe you'll be bought out by that four letter company that starts with B and or the sure, three letter sure. company. And actually Harmon, which owns JBL and forty eight other sound companies, including Crown Amplifiers, they were bought by Samsung a couple of years ago. Well, a lot of that stuff was made in China. And when that happened, I go, do you really believe the South Koreans are going to get in bed with the Chinese? And they very quickly took a lot of the stuff to Mexico, very quickly. But they bought – Harman was bought specifically because Harman owns a gob of patents for near-field communications – And if you're going to have cars self-driving before, besides the LIDAR stuff, if people are familiar with that, or the cameras, you have to have near-field communications. Like, say, if you're driving down the freeway and a car comes off of a bridge in front of you, everybody for miles back has to know that happened. Then it's much better than you could ever respond as a human. It automatically telegraphs it. Just like when you're on Waze, it knows when the traffic's stopped two miles ahead. Mm -hmm. That near-field communications is why they bought that company. They did a. It was like an eight billion dollar thing. And when you really think about it, that uh, what was that silly thing that they're the the virtual reality guy that they were doing on all the iPhones for a little bit? They were chasing them all through the parks and everything. About five or six years ago everybody was chasing this little guy that would appear on rocks and you could get them and they were running all over the country doing it. People were walking in front of cars. They did like, uh, think, the Pokemon the, stuff. The Pokemon. It was in the billions and they didn't, <laughs> they didn't make anything. It was in the billions for, for, for Pokemon in the billions they were doing in the billions. So when you look at them doing something with one of these 48 sound companies, If it's not gigantic, I don't know that they have interest in the big commercial stuff. They're going to still be making some of the really big arena stuff. But There's only so many arenas and so many gigantic, you know, rock concerts and stuff. They're more interested in the big number guy. They're not going to be interested in little pity stuff. So I think we're at an opportune time. Omar Bose is gone. Klipsch has been gone for a while. And the people that started most of these major, there's only a few sound companies doing commercial. There are gazillions doing you know, retail, residential stuff. I mean, there's so many speaker companies out there. It's unbelievable, but not in commercial, not in commercial. And we've got other cute things about ours. Ours will hang with two screws on the wall and you hang it and you can put a padlock, you unlock the padlock, you lift it up. It uh, runs, we could go 500 feet with telephone wire, with telephone wire and not lose enough volume where you could perceive it's gotten softer not lose two decibels. At 500 feet of telephone wire, and copper is expensive. So you can actually wire up a church or in a, a place with a staple gun like they used to use to run your telephone wire. We run yeah. on telephone wire, and we're passive. We don't have to plug it in. We don't need a computer to run it. So we've we've addressed everything that's the negative things about speakers. But it's more than that. We've We've got a whole vision about what we're going to do in the future, we've got some, some great things we want to do in education because that's really where the passion is. we got to get the kids to have a great education and a great work experience and really be able to connect with each other and connect with the teacher. And you can't connect with a teacher in a classroom. Anything that's over 60 feet, you can't communicate. You're either shouting, and the kid in the back of the room doesn't get an education. I feel blessed my name starts with an A. Geez, I was at the front <sighs> row. So I, I got the best education going just because I start with an A. You know, hey, what's the odds of that happening? And it's a weird name. Altar is so much different than anybody else. You put A-L-T-H-A-R. I'm the first dad on the web. I don't have to do any SEO stuff. We're right at the top, right at the top. We figure we'll end up buying all those other companies and make them a little division of ours. Yeah. You know, yeah. That's, that's what I tell people. Be bought <laughs> by them. We're going to buy them. And you got to think big. I'm on a thing, you should join this too. I'm on a thing every Friday night with Jeff Hazelet. He was the head of all marketing worldwide for, for Kodak, Eastman Kodak worldwide. And he has a group called C Suite Network. That's by invite. And it's people from all over the world. And I'm on there every Friday night. We get a get together. But they have meetings at the beginning of the month, and they'll have the the lady that does all the buying for the Navy talk and not only talk but you're on zoom where you could actually talk face to face with that person it's not just and the same they've had the person from general motors in charge of their big stuff and you're talking to them one-on-one so the friends i've made i've got a friend that you know he sells uh it's gentleman cigars he's got a trolley that's in nashville tennessee and so i've gone to visit those guys and you you just meet people it's it's i was over in pittsburgh a couple of weeks ago meeting with one of their people and it's, it's, I actually, I got a free ride. I, I did the sound down in Disney world last year for an event with, I think they had 6,000 people on the web and about a hundred people at the, the diner. And they had the guy from Mickey Mouse. He's older now, obviously. Yeah, and yeah. I did the sound and the, the video down there. And, and I got paid for my whole thing to go down for a free vacation, a really fancy hotel and all that because of C-suite. So you really got to reach out and expand. I think Cleveland. Everybody looks at Cleveland. They go, Oh, you got to go out to the coast." I think we've got so much brain power here, and so much talent because of the medical, obviously, because of our industry, and because we have a heart. It's it's a passion. It's really a passion, and people want to build businesses and help each other out. I don't care. And everybody is important in the world. I don't care whether somebody's washing dishes. Or what their job is. Their job is just as important as anybody else's. And you know, when you're in the military, that jet fighter ain't going to go without that JP4 fuel. And if the guy didn't have the dishes washed and he gets Montezuma's revenge, it's tough to fly a fighter. And if he doesn't have his radar and his weapons don't work. So every single person is just as important as the next. They're either here to benefit you or to give you a lesson of what you shouldn't be doing. So everybody's important. we got to treat yeah. them like they're important.
0: That's a beautiful way to look at the world.
1: So I'm sorry I didn't give you a chance to talk. No, it's
0: not. It's not We're a hidden it. Cleveland. It's, it's yours. We story. have yep. a
1: waterfall in Slavic <laughs> Village that's the highest in the county. We have a 42-foot waterfall. And if the powers would be, it's, it's twice the size of the Shrewin Falls one. And it's right Where on is Broadway. That? Right in Slavic Village? It's called Mill Creek Falls. And the metro park spent $2 million building walkways and stuff. It's freaking crazy great. Our metro parks, that green necklace that we have, is un believable That you can go out and within a minute be right there in nature. Nature's phenomenal. And you know what we need to do more of is since the beginning of time, people sat around and told stories. Everybody's life has a story. Yeah. And every one of them is worth hearing. And to just sit around and... and Break bread is, there's nothing better. Yeah, It was all Wozniak. And Woz is, he's, he's real involved with FIRST Robotics. I've been with them for 16 years. I'm one of the judges for FIRST. And if you ever want to be inspired about the future, you think of what the kids are like around the country, and you think these kids are just got their nose set in the middle. Of their their faces is stuck in an iPhone or Android or whatever they're playing with. But when you, when you deal with them in FIRST Robotics and you see the creativity of what they do, they build, everyone should just look up FIRST. I'm not even gonna tell what it's about. I'm gonna make everyone go to FIRST, okay. F-I-R-S-T Perfect. Robotics. Look and see what these games are about and what these kids build in six weeks. It's insanity, it's the future of our world. And I work with the inner city kids and I gotta tell you, 5% or 3% are total bozos. The rest are just kids trying to make it by. They have some difficult backgrounds. I, I like to feel that I've got a really crappy background. You only heard part of it. Anyway, any other thoughts? Any questions, Jeff? I've not oh, you I, haven't asked any questions. And you told me you were gonna take the job of the Johnny Carson or what's his name that's on TV now.
0: I, I don't know that I've I've needed to ask any questions. I, I could I could imagine that you are able to kind of speak to all the things that you see in the world that are done because it's the way they've always been done and have oh, a it's on Every it.
1: day I look at stuff and I go, <laughs> what in the hell were they thinking? And it's, it's everywhere. I mean, it's, it's literally everywhere. And it comes from people doing what's always been done. It's like when they, when they stop a car, they either have brake shoes or disc pads. So you're telling me the very first people ever built cars were that damn smart. And here we are, you know, decades later, still stopping them in the same damn way. Or let's say if you didn't have rubber, how would you make the, how would, you got to imagine whatever you're leaning on for your technology, imagine to yourself, what if we didn't have that technology? How could we accomplish the same thing? And that's when you end up with things that's beyond what you're doing now. Because any technology gets better and better and better until it reaches like a brick wall then it can't get no better. Makes sense? But then you stand back and you look at it, like right now, in a good example, a lot of the stuff that we're relying on because of supply, we can't get. So you're going to very quickly find that we're going to find better ways, and some of them will end up being better than what we've been doing, because this is the way we've always built this. And when you do it a different way, you might find out it's actually a better way of doing
0: it. Yeah, it's just unfortunate that sometimes it takes the the catalyst of something truly catastrophic to give you that deliberate pause. Well, I mean, Dennis, this was a, an enlightening conversation. Um, <laughs> I, I, I truly, I, I think we could probably talk for, for many more hours, but. Um,
1: <laughs> oh yeah. But it's, it's reaching that, you said hour and a half. So I'm still got six minutes. We got to beat the other guys.
0: <laughs> well, I'll, I'll ask you, I'll ask you a closing question then. Cause I, I am sure. curious when you think about all of the problems, that, that you observe in the world? You know, why is it that, that, that you chose to focus on, on this audible literacy and, and communication when, it, when you, I imagine you really could have tackled any, any variety of problems?
1: I'll give you my, my take on business. Is that okay? Is the final word? Sure. I will present to you that trains are in the same business as McDonald's. Do you know what that business is? And everybody always goes, they're in the a real estate business because they watched the movie. Do you know what McDonald's real business is and what made them explode? They shift time. time. When you go to McDonald's, you could grab a, a Big Mac and be on the turnpike, and you've just saved yourself a half an hour to an hour of time that day. So all the fast foods, what they're really selling is time shifting. When they did the the drive-throughs, it's 86% of their business. And in COVID, The Wendy's, McDonald's, and all those places have never done better business. In fact, the rallies and places like that, and there's McDonald's that still aren't open up inside because they realize they're making better money by just the drive-through. And they're really in the time-shifting business. That's how come Blockbusters is gone and Netflix, it's the time of picking up that DVD and picking it back. So anything that shifts time is valuable. If you've got a CAT scanner, That can do a slice, three slices a second versus one that does one a second, even if the images are exactly the same, you don't think it's that much faster. But over a year, that's a lot of patience.
0: But it's it's interesting because the as much as those are are saving time, I feel like in a lot of ways the the businesses of today are in the are in competition just with other things that you do, just and your time, right? Like Netflix is in competition with sleep with with that's your right. physical activity, with your work, right? It's as much as they're saving time, they're trying to absorb your time.
1: <laughs> that's, their, that's their job is to absorb your time. So anything that shifts time, if you've got an NC machine that can crank out parts twice as fast as another, and it's 50% more expensive, it's cheaper, right? If you're punching out, so you're really paying for time is a, a valuable thing. Because in reality, all of us are finite creatures, so in the back of your brain, you know that if say you were to live forever, you could never, ever die. Nobody would ever be in a big rush because it wouldn't matter. <laughs> you know, it wouldn't matter. So anything that shifts time is very valuable because the most expensive thing that exists is time. Steve Jobs couldn't have bought one more minute of his life for a billion dollars. All you have is time and It's limited. And anything that affects your senses, anything that goes in your eyes, your nose, your ears, your mouth, and gets converted to dopamine and endorphins, that's sex, drugs, rock and roll. And anything that, why would you go and pay good money for a meal or go to a concert or listen to music in an elevator, as bad as it is. But anything that affects our senses, because we seek out things. They, they always talk about this business thing. If I hear one more time, they say, well, what's the pain point? Do they miss all the pleasure point? You don't get comfortable seats because of pain. You get comfort- you'll get you seek comfort. You'll seek good things. You'll run away from pain. So do you want to only sell because of the pain point, or do you want to have things where it's a pleasure point and people feel good about what, you're, what you've got? People love music. Why would they sell all those CDs or streaming or all this? Because we're wired for sound. We're wired and it makes dopamine and endorphins. When you eat a good meal, you go, damn, that pizza was rocking, right? So anything that affects your senses, anything that affects time shifting, and anything that affects ego and pride, why do you wear the Rolex watch? It gives the same time as your my Mickey Mouse Apple Watch. Why do you drive the Porsche? Because Porsche gives you the thrill of the speed, saves time. And ego, all rolled into one little piece. And people will trade one for another. You'll go to Cedar Point and and wait a half an hour for that damn demon drop. (laughs) And you trade time for that thrill. So I present that most things in life are going to affect your senses, shift time, or affect ego. That covers a lot of things when you really peel away what things are about. Not 100%, but a lot of things. If it's shifting time, we hang our speakers in two screws and they're hung. Everybody else is there for days, renting scissors lifts and stuff. Here, these the highest they ever go is ten feet off the ground in a gym. You could do that from a stepladder.
0: Well, well, Jeff, uh,
1: we've got to meet. You got to come by and visit my lab because you're going to be astounded when you oh, see. It, this I would. Is, this I would love a cool that. place. Oh wait, I can actually <laughs> zoom out and see some of this stuff here. Oh my god! <laughs> so
0: if you, you look, look at this not. place. I I have to try and describe what just happened for for everyone listening which was for the entirety of our conversation for the last hour and a half. It was like a normal Zoom where you you see someone and they're they're right on the other side of the screen and what Dennis just did is he zoomed out and this entire conversation he was maybe like four tables away. <laughs> Incredible. Incredible. We got all the toys here.
1: We got more toys than Carter's got liver Actually, when I do zoom, we got a hundred inch screen to watch the main speaker. So this is, this is what our place looks like. Wow. It's a lot of, a lot of
0: cool stuff. It is. It is very cool for, for those without the visual aid. (laughs) Well, well, Dennis, if folks have anything they would want to follow up with you about philosophically audio (laughs) or otherwise, what, what is the best way for them to do so?
1: My email and my, my name's always upside down on my emails, which I don't know if you've seen it yet. <laughs> but anyway, Althar, A L T H A R, audio, A U D I O, at gmail.com. Althar audio, gmail. And Althar audio.com is the website. Althar audio.com. Jeffrey, you got to come here and break bread. We'll have a great time. You got to see a movie in our theater. We've only got uh, six thousand DVDs and a few thousand lasers, so. But and it's full Atmos. It's it's got the whole spiel. It's I, it's I look
0: forward pretty to pretty good. Yeah. Well, Dennis, thank you. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it.
1: God bless, Jeff.
0: That's all for this week. Thank you for listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. So if you have any feedback, please send over an email to jeffrey at layoftheland.fm or find us on Twitter at podlayoftheland or at Sternfa. J-E-F-E. If you or someone you know would make a good guest for our show, please reach out as well and let us know. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or on your preferred podcast player. Your support goes a long way to help us spread the word and continue to bring the Cleveland founders and builders we love having on the show. We'll be back here next week at the same time to map more of the land. The Lay of the Land podcast was developed in collaboration with The Up Company, LLC.